Hey, everybody, it is Trags, Mike Petralia, back with this Halloween episode of the Jungle Roar podcast, powered by FanDuel Sportsbook, the exclusive online wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Back with me, uh, returning for the first time in a little bit, the one and only Richard Skinner, Skinny of Local 12, covering the Cincinnati Bengals. He was out in Santa Clara covering that game. One of the best games, regular season games, I think, in the Zach Taylor era here in Cincinnati. Joe Burrow putting on, quite frankly, a historic performance. Skinny, it's good to have you back on Halloween. And for once, actually, first time in, I guess, three years, the Bengals are not playing on Halloween Day. That's weird. That is very, very strange for sure. Uh, Obviously, last year was the the horrific uh, yeah. Halloween game up in Cleveland where they got blasted. Jadobia Wujie got hurt. I mean, that was just an absolute unmitigated mess up. And then from that point forward, they had a great season. So, you know, maybe not playing Halloween. It's a nice time to bypass. It. And the year before, of course, was the inimitable uh, Mike White game where he comes in in uh, relief of Sam Darnold and lights up the Bengals in the second half. And uh, that was an ugly loss, 34-31, and that was back in 2021. So uh, the Bengals are not having to worry about uh, missing Halloween. They can be home with their uh, friends and family, handing out the candy, uh, trick-or-treating, as I will be. I will not go out trick-or-treating. You will not either, will you, Skinny? No, not a chance. I'm actually broadcasting a a high school soccer game tonight, a regional championship game, regional semifinal game. Oh, uh, Milford and Mount Notre Dame girls. So I'll I'll be there. Unfortunately, won't be handing out candy. I actually enjoy that part of Halloween. When when I had my kids and both my kids are grown and out of the house, Mm -hmm. um, uh, my wife would be the one that would take them trick or treating. I would be the one that would sit at the end of the driveway with a big vat of wine and hand out the candy. And I actually did enjoy that. Our neighborhood was pretty tight and it still is. Some of the families have moved, but we've all kind of grown up together, watched our kids grow up. So we'd all kind of congregate in one or two spots and, and you know, hand out candy and and uh, kind of shoot the breeze and it would make the time fly. So, yeah, tonight I would say sitting outside will not be uh, a, a kind situation because of the weather. No, it's going to be very chilly. By the way, uh, when I was young, my favorite Halloween costume was that of a football player. I there know that'll go. shock you, but I had the helmet actually – it, it's a uh, helmet from 1972, believe it or not, a Miami Dolphins helmet because my sister got me it for uh, Christmas, actually the previous Christmas, and I wore it for Halloween in 1973. And uh, it's one of my true prized possession. Actually, it's right behind me. I'm not going to get up and show it to everybody. Uh, but that is what I w- uh, was on Halloween, but uh, I and did indeed grow up a Bengal fan. So. Yeah, and you look like from that 72 team, you'd either be Jim Kick or Howard Twilly. Which one would you be? <laughs> Jim Kick. Okay, all right. I, I, I w- gladly played the supporting role to the people ahead of me, uh, as Jim Kick did uh, there in uh, Miami with uh, Larry Zonka and actually Mercury Morris. Yeah, he's great. So anyway, uh, enough of the frivolity. I want to get in, uh, get on to what happened Sunday in San Francisco. I think it's one of the best wins in the Zach Taylor era from start to finish. Obviously, a very complete game by the Bengals. Both sides of the ball making big-time plays. But we have to start with the play of the year so far for the Bengals. I don't think there's any question about that. And that is the Burrow scramble on the first drive, third and 10 at their own 31-yard line. Zach Taylor said uh, when Burrow completed that pass to T. Higgins for 11 yards and got the first down and made that miraculous scramble and took the hit from Fred Warner, it catapulted the offense. I would assume you agree with that. 
Yeah, and it's funny because when you look at Joe, um, he's he's a tall guy, but he doesn't he's not thick, right? You know, right. Well, ben Roethlisberger was always a guy that was hard to bring down just because he was so thick, and guys would just fall off of him. You know, Lamar Jackson's elusive. There are certain scrambling quarterbacks. Joe Burrow showed everything on that play. He showed strength to twice rip away from sacks, the athleticism to then spin out of it and run away from it. And then, of course, the arm talent to make that throw on the run on the sideline to T. Higgins. It was literally everything you could want in a quarterback in a broken play situation. And, uh, you know, I know Joe told us after the game about how he's tried to increase his athleticism, and, and that was a big point of emphasis for him. And obviously the strained calf limited that. But that did show that. I, I've always thought Joe's a good athlete. I mean, if you go back, Joe was a heck of a baseball player growing up, gave it up eventually, really good basketball player on some pretty good high school teams and played some AAU basketball as well. But again, when you see him, Mike, we see one, he is not a thick guy. I mean, when you see Ben Roethlisberger, like, yeah, I get why guys fall off of him. He's a monster. He's a, he's a pulling guard playing quarterback. Joe's not, but man, he showed incredible strength twice on that play. Well, the other thing I would tell you about that play that impressed me as it was happening is he didn't give up. Right. You know, some quarterbacks are like, okay, I feel the pressure. Surrender. I'm not going to turn the ball over. I'm just going to take the sack and live to fight another. You know, it would have been obviously um, the Bengals would have had to punt the ball if he didn't uh, complete the play and execute the uh, first down pass. But he was just not going to give up that uh, give up on that play. And that to me, if I'm watching that as an opponent, that is something that sticks out and says to me, if we're playing this quarterback, he's not going to give up on the play no matter what. And that was not the case in Tennessee. That was not the case even in the Rams game, um, you know, where he was efficient and did what he had to do. That was not the case in week one, even in Cleveland because of the rain, because he didn't want to risk it. That's been the case at times, maybe not to the degree he did it on Sunday, but he has shown elusiveness. He's shown the ability to extend plays. And again, I know people will point to the offensive line a lot of times and, you know, why is he always scrambling? Why does he have to scramble? Listen, go watch Kansas City and watch how many times Pat Mahomes has to take a snap, run for his life, keep right. the play alive, and then go create a play. That's what the great ones do. And, and Burrow showed all of that on that play. I mean, I wouldn't have blamed him, Mike, after he got out of the sack if he just got outside and just thrown it into the stands and said, that's it, sure. we're done, let's punt it. He actually kept his eyes downfield, spotted a receiver in a very tight window along the sideline, and made a perfect throw that I'm not sure you make on air, let alone with a guy covering you after you had to scramble away from two sacks. That was incredible. If you have the chance, go check out uh, everybody watching and listening to this. Joe Goodberry, he has a great breakdown uh, of that play, and I think it points out a number of things. First of all, what the offensive line did, what Alex Kappa did on his field block. block. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable. And how Burrow, as you said, he checked twice. Uh, down the field before the pocket collapsed. Then once he uh, eluded Armstead and Bosa, he scrambles out and he just doesn't, you know, as you said, look to get rid of the ball. He gets his eyes back downfield, sees T and just throws an absolute dot. Incredible. The other uh, tweet that I want people to check out and it adds really interesting perspective is Dan Horde's tweet of Joe Burrow running sprints, working on his speed and his athleticism uh, back in whatever it was, May, I believe. I remember and, that. I, I remember that tweet. Yeah. And uh, it was really, uh, you know, it's really indicative of how much Joe Burrow works on his athleticism. And I think it's obviously been muted a little bit skinny because of the injury to start the season, but it's, it should encourage Bengal fans that, Burrow is not Burrow is going to go full strength. Once he feels like he's good to go, he's not going to hold back. And I think that more than anything else should give Bengal fans hope going forward for the for this offense. 
Hey, football fans, score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets. That's $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time than now to get in on all the action. And the app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and much more. So visit FanDuel.com Boston and get in on all of the fun action this NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 21 and present in Massachusetts, hope is here. First online real money wager only. $5 pregame money line wager is required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit is required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling helpline ma.org or call 1-800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Play it smart from the start. GameSenseMA.com or call 1-800-GAM-1234. Yeah, people that would ask me, you know, coming out of this bye week, uh, you know, they, the, the the way the Seattle game ended offensively was discouraging a bit, right? I mean, the no 78 yards or 76 yards in 34 plays and um, all those things. But the encouraging thing that I, I told fans was, and even friends, was he showed mobility in the Arizona game. He was really good on the first two drives of the Seattle game. And I think that was more of an offensive failure than a Joe Burrow injury issue in that Seattle game. Another week of the bye of getting healthy, I said, listen, all this comes down to, I, I do a segment with Mo Egger every Wednesday. And we talked about this last I said, all this comes down to, man, before everybody can freak out about, oh my gosh, this is still a team that maybe can't, is when the man is healthy, forget about it. This is a great football team. And he showed everybody I'm not just healthy. I'm even healthy and better. And that's why you should be completely encouraged because of the way they won, the way he looked and all of those things. And that's all this has ever been about is once he got healthy and they were able to do some things that we may get into, like going under center, which unlocks some things, showing his mobility on broken plays. After that, it unlocks everything that they want to do in this offense. And you saw that on on Sunday. And even then they even talked about, and they're right. They left some points on the board too. The Irv Smith turnover, the missed field goal. They could have scored 40 on this team without really batting an eye, to be quite frank. No, no question about that. And, you know, the irony of that play, and and I think it's worthy of all the time we're spending on it because it was such a pivotal play and an indicative play of where the Bengals are now as opposed to where they were a month ago. They they could never have pulled this off. Burrow certainly couldn't have pulled it off. And it it appears that the offensive line was collapsing on that play, but when you see what Kappa did, when you see what Karras did, when you see what Orlando Brown Jr. did on that play, they not only did Burrow not give up on the play, the offensive lineman did not give up on the play. And I want to spend a, a little time here talking about uh, the offensive line's best game of the year. Obviously, they were good in pass protection, but their run blocking, I noted this and I tweeted this early in the game on Sunday. I said, you have to be impressed with the way the Bengals are opening holes for Joe Mixon and the run game. And it it really complemented what they were doing uh, in the passing game. Yeah, Mike, I think the final stats for under center runs were 11 for 30 yards, but it it comes with a huge caveat. 
One of those was Burrow taking a knee at the end of the game. And two of those were negative runs on the last series the Bengals ran right. when the 49ers stacked the box, knew the Bengals were going to run. Let's take those out of the mix. I know you can't, but take those out of the mix. They were then seven for 34 yards, I believe, on their other game. That's almost five a pop from under center. I think right. the under center stuff also opened up the run game. I talked to Joe. I, mean, I didn't use the quote, and I'm probably saving it for a story this week to expound on it. But I asked Jonah in the locker room after the game about – you know, how much did that help you guys? And he said it helped a ton. It allowed us to do some different things. Um, you know, the, the team just can't sit on shotgun runs. And when you're under center, it opened up, you know, defensive linemen can't decide it's going to be a run. They, they have to know, hey, maybe a play action pass is coming. And I think it helped the offensive linemen then fire out on occasion as opposed to kind of setting up and shotgun run stuff. And that's hard to block for a lot of times. It's, it's, it's a complicated thing that um, I think you saw on Sunday when they were able to do all the things, it helped everybody, offensive linemen, Joe Mixon, Joe Burrow, the pass game, the entire offense. I just wonder sometimes why the Bengals were slow to get to the under. under well, I think it's cap. I think they just and, didn't want him pushing away from under. And that's where it goes back to the whole health thing is, is you know, maybe they could have unlocked that in the Seattle game, Mike. But, but I, you know, I'm of the yoga. We've talked to, to the coordinator, Brian Callahan, a little bit about this. In, it's just a sense I get. I don't think he's really fully answered it. But I think they wanted to get through that Seattle game as much as possible. They knew he was a little bit more mobile, but why push the under center at that point? Yeah. Just because you don't know that Give makes it sense. one more full week. And now after the full week, you're like, dude's ready to go. Let's do this thing and see how it works. And, and you saw the proof on Sunday. Well, you know, to their credit and to Zach Taylor's credit to Brian Callahan, to Joey Bose's credit, the head athletic trainer of the Bengals, they took their time. You know, when everybody is I hate using the word panic because I think that's hyperbole a little bit and exaggeration. But when everybody is worried about the start, another 0-2 start, teams one and three, they looked horrible in Tennessee. They were embarrassed in Tennessee. And there were serious doubts about can this team really do this again? Can they rebound from a very slow start? And the Bengals clearly were like, yeah, it's a long way to go in the season. And we want the best Joe Burrow, and we're not going to push it. And credit to them for not doing that. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the first three losses, I'm going to chalk up week one to the rain, to the fact that, that again, Burrow missing camp. You could see the time. Even if there wasn't rain that day, the timing was so bad for everybody Correct. that they were never going to connect. And plus, and we'll agree with this, I'm sure you will too, that Cleveland defense at home is just dynamic and especially when they have all their hands on deck and they proved that that day Baltimore game was a 50 50 game and, and part of the issue was Joe Burrow himself throwing an interception in that game Tennessee was a completely compromised Joe Burrow who I do think was a little bit spooked after um, almost getting picked off on that first drive and then they had to settle for the field goal and then he played the rest of the game in a phone booth and the yeah. offensive line was really up against it and it just kind of snowballed on them and from that point forward things have kind of little by little unlocked themselves I get the hand wringing over the over the way the Seattle game ended offensively I do get because it was like all right Burrow's healthy they look dynamic on the first two drives what the hell happened well sometimes that's the NFL and so I, I think and I think, a very good defense and a very I mean. good defense correct <laughs> and, and so yeah I think you know again when I look back at those first games now in retrospect the Tennessee game was disappointing that was a complete Joe Burrow injury game Baltimore, you chalk it up to those guys are always going to play one possession games and they got the better of you. And then week one was what it was. And so now that everything's back to what feels like normal, yeah, this team should make a lengthy run the rest of this the rest of this regular season into now the way things are starting to shape up, a chance to still fight for the number one seed. I know I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here, but you yeah. still put yourself in the conversation of that thanks to Kansas City losing um, and because you still play Baltimore again. I mean, they have a gauntlet still remaining of the schedule. Sure. However, when 
you put on that kind of performance against one of the two or three elite teams of the NFC. There's no question about that. I know their hand wringing out in San sure. Francisco after the game. I had a chance uh, enjoying a post game meal with a significant other on Sunday night. Uh, watching uh, NBC Sports Bay Area and they're hand-wringing about their defense and their secondary and they can't tackle and they can't cover and they can't get to the quarterback enough and blah, blah, blah. Um, Every team goes through this, but they're still one of the better teams in the NFC. When you are the Bengals and you go out there and beat them like a drum on their turf and end their 11-game home winning streak, to me, that tells me that you can this Bengal team is capable of beating any team, anywhere, anyhow. Agreed. Uh, and I think that's what that game was. That was the statement of now that our guy's healthy and our, our left tackles back to healthy after he missed the portion of that Seattle game. And maybe that compromised some of that. And T Higgins is back healthy and all hands are back on deck. You got to, it's the, it goes back to the saying of last year. They have to play us, right? That, that would be the magic of those guys. It proves that this team is as talented as we thought it was. It was just completely compromised by the keyest of key players dealing with a significant injury in the first part of the season. What do you think of the defense? Uh, what were your biggest defensive takeaways out of that game uh, on uh, Sunday afternoon? Let, let me do my best Lou Anaruma for you. Yards don't equal points, Mike. No, I mean, they, they do not. They came oh, up, by the way, okay, yes. let's start there. Skinny. Yeah, okay. His reaction and the team's and the, his players' reactions and Zach Taylor's reaction to Lou Anarumo was a great storyline at the end of the game. I didn't get a chance to really delve into that and write right. about that, and I wanted to. Um, but tell us a little bit about that and what your impressions uh, of their reaction to Lou on the sideline was. Yeah, I, I think it shows just how much respect everybody has for him and the things that he does in big moments or gets his guys to do because he'd be the first one to deflect to the players. He always does that to us when we talk to him. I will be interested to see what he says to us. We'll talk to him either tomorrow, Mike, or Thursday. Um, and, and what his react, what, you know, we, we don't get a chance to talk to coordinators after games. We talk to them at, during the week. I'll be interested in what, to see what he thought of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, in big moments, he comes up with great plans. Does he not? Or, and, or his guys so buy into the plans and yes, they gave up 460 yards. Now, like 80 of those were on the last three plays of the game. So, but still they gave up a chunk of yards and they gave up a handful of big plays. But again, this is not happenstance that when teams get into the situation of scoring, they snuff it out, and they're also opportunistic. The Logan Wilson play wasn't by happenstance. That's a good athlete making a great drop and having great hands to intercept the ball, then having the athleticism to make a great return to put you in position of a short field to score. So, I mean, all of those things, is it's it's some of it is what they've done from a draft and, and free agency perspective, but Lou puts these guys into a position where they believe, and they believe in tight spots, we're getting a stop. We're getting a turnover. They're not scoring on us. And it is. It's He's right. It, it's, it's a broken record, but yards don't equal points. They just don't. No, they don't. And one reason they didn't equal points on Sunday was one of the best defensive plays of the year by a Bengal player, Jermaine right. Pratt's tip to himself, the interception. And I'll tell you, Skinny, what impressed me about that after the game and talking to Pratt at his locker, he actually said he had a, his head up and his eyes up and I guess every good defensive player does this but when he sees that the handoff was missed and he uh sees that right away he knows to trail the quarterback and make sure that the quarterback Purdy who hurt the Bengals many times with his legs on, with his legs outside the pocket on Sunday uh Pratt uh, in that particular case Purdy did not because Pratt followed him trailed him and then he tried to flip the ball and uh Pratt 
you know, kept his hands down until the last second, got them up, tipped them to himself. Huge, huge interception there because the 49ers were on the verge of uh, getting back into that game and tying it up. Yeah, I mean, it would have tied the score and changed everything. And, it, you know, I think part of the the, the thing that, that uh, you know, I heard from 49ers uh, analysts after the game, too, is the whole, you know, Brock Purdy has not shown he can play from behind yet. He's done a great job of playing from ahead. So that kept them from getting back to even and, and allowing them to right. go back to their bootlegs and their play actions and their, um, and back to their run game. It kept them behind the eight ball significantly. So, yeah, I mean, it was such, it was such an incredibly athletic play because I thought initially he was trying to shovel pass it, missed the shovel pass. And once he got on the perimeter, you could see where Elijah Mitchell was. He kind of snuck behind people that around the five yard line. I truly think if Bert Purdy had gotten it over Jermaine Pratt, it probably would have been a touchdown, but he didn't because Jermaine Pratt, as you mentioned, he does the right thing. He goes to the right spot and then has the athleticism to go up and make a, a, just an incredible play. And he baited him because he, he, did, kept right. his, he didn't get his hands up right away. Yep. He wanted yep. to make sure that he threw the ball so that he would get his hands on it. Yep. A, a brilliant play. There's so, so many. The reason I love that game on Sunday, Skinny, a result aside, okay, is there were so many uh, seminal plays in that game that kind of summed up why the Bengals won and why the 49ers lost. Yep. And when you can do that, it's fun to break down a game like that. All right, let's get on to the game in front of us. And that is the Buffalo Bills primetime Sunday night, NBC. It is going to be, um, you know, I think one of the more electric nights in Paycor history. And <laughs> Ironically, we said that heading into the Monday night game on January 2nd. First of all, how do you think the Bengals will handle DeMar Hamlin? That's a good question. Um, you know, I, I think I asked you guys a few weeks ago, would they introduce him, um, you know, yeah. pregame? I mean, obviously you want to build up the electricity of the night, right? And, and, and do all the things that gets the crowd revved up. At the same time, there is some reverence there. There, there was a special moment where I, literally a life was saved on that field and you want to kind of recognize that I you know do you do that 30 minutes prior to kickoff and then let the crowd right before kickoff get revved up by all the things you do it's a good question I, I'm I, I'm not sure I, I don't think I'd handle it by introducing him I think I'd maybe make a mention of it like I said a half hour before kickoff when the teams are still in the locker room um uh you know he, he may be inactive for the game for all we know Mike I mean that, that's the other part to it he's but, only been active I believe once correct? I think that's correct yeah I think that's correct so you know maybe he's not even you know a part of that but again if you can make some kind I think you have to recognize the moment right I it was so significant I think they will. what we all saw what the country saw um you know what it's done probably for CPR and AED awareness and all of those things I I think it's probably got to be recognized in some way but I think you also have to let the crowd get revved up because it is a football game that that you're looking to win on top of Correct. And I, so, you know, I would guess first responders, the medical team at right. university of Cincinnati, they, they should recognize all... them all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if he's inactive and the bills, you know, allow the Bengals that uh, moment to recognize one of Buffalo's own player, Damar Hamlin, maybe that's how you handle it. You know, like you said, significant amount of time before kickoff. Yeah. And then once the game comes, it's about the game. And it's I about think, the game. Yeah. And I think the NFL and the Bengals and Bills certainly will talk about. I mean, I'm sure they have talked about that heading into this game. And NBC is going to have something to do with it Correct. because they certainly want a moment to uh pay tribute to that game because it was just such a seminal significant moment uh in NFL history because you saved a life on the field. 
Mike, you and I are old enough to have covered a ton of stuff of significance and great moments and and also just watched on television great moments um, as, as a journalist being in that environment. I've never been that that will never escape my mind of what took place that night. Never. It was just nope. it felt so surreal because I can remember when I literally blurted out in, in the press box. Oh, my God, I think they're doing CPR. And one of I do remember you saying one, that. One of, I one of our colleagues said, said, don't jump, jump to conclusions. I said, no, man, look. And he looked. He said, oh, my gosh, you're right. They are. Because I wouldn't have blurted that out if I hadn't seen what I thought I saw. Um, and at that point in time, then it got real for everybody involved. It did. And, you know, I will pass this along. I mean, one of the things I'll always remember is T Higgins leaving yes. after the game um, downstairs near the security office, embracing his mom, embracing his mom. That to me is the one moment that sticks out. Um, besides the staff, you know, rescuing DeMar Hamlin and rushing him to the hospital that it, that made it human to me. Yeah, and I mean, he, I, he felt guilt that he shouldn't have felt, but he also was very human in that moment. Well, I mean, and and maybe, you know, maybe it goes beyond guilt, Skinny. Maybe it was just like wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. And yeah. he was part of the moment, right? right? And, you know, in a moment like that, he needed love and support, and he had it from his mom. Okay, the game itself, I don't think the Buffalo Bills are what the Buffalo Bills have been the last several years. And yeah. your thoughts on the way the Bills and Josh Allen are playing? Yeah, something's dysfunctional there. And I know the injury issues on defense are real. We got to start there. I mean, that's something that's out of their control. And that's certainly affected that defense. I mean, they've had, um, you know, Ed Oliver's been out. They've had another tackle out. Obviously, Matt Milano's out. I mean, they've had some significant injury situations. So that that affects their defense. But there's something dysfunctional about that offense. And maybe it's, you know, they've tried to, I think, limit Josh Allen in just the quarterback run game. He still scrambles and he's still a dynamic scrambler. But, you know, I, I think for a lot of guys, after a few years in the league, you realize, we can't, our, our running game can't center around their quarterbacks. So they've tried to go with, with the running game with a, with a back or two cook being one of them and it hasn't worked. And then it feels like it's, it's either a big play to Stefan Diggs or it's nothing. They get nothing else in the main Gabe Davis has a moment here and there, but they just seem really dysfunctional on offense at the moment. And it, you know, I, I thought it was maybe just going to England. Maybe it was one week, but it was a week before that. It was then the New England game. Um, they just haven't looked right offensively. It was the game again, even, even the the the, uh, the Thursday night game. They didn't look good offensively. They just looked dysfunctional on offense. I the the giant game on Sunday night was the first red flag. But when you follow that up with a loss um, against New England, uh, a team that is a abysmally bad i'm yeah they are one of the two or three worst teams in the afc I don't no question any question about that and we haven't even talked about today is the nfl trade deadline and you know the the patriots have a couple of guys that i think could really help the bengals uh but it's very unlikely the bengals will pull the trigger on any deal just because they don't like trading draft picks but the bills have a lot to figure out in a short period of time and certainly they have the talent to do so but not as much talent i think as right now a healthy cincinnati bengals team does i i like the way the bengals are playing heading into this game but the bengals need to win the game for this reason it's an afc game they haven't won all, one <laughs> they have not won an afc game in three tries this year all four of their wins against the nfc and mike to your point when you start it, it, it it's key because once you start getting the tiebreakers and if you look at the afc at the moment it feels like other than a couple of teams, everybody has two, three, or four losses. I mean, it's so daggone jumbled that it's going to come down to tiebreakers for either the one seed, and maybe that can be head-to-head -head with Kansas City when you play them down the road. Um, you know, for the two seed, I mean, maybe it's 
you against Miami. You don't play Miami, and Miami winds up with a better AFC record than you, and, and hence they're going to get the two seed. I mean, all these seeding things, too. So, yeah, you got to start somewhere. Um, this would be the right place to start. Plus, that stacks a fourth straight win. That stacks a second straight win after the bye. That stacks a third straight win over a team with a winning record. You start to start adding this thing up, and, and it, it adds to the confidence factor that I think is, is starting to bubble to the surface and would bubble even more with, with a win on Sunday night. When Zach Taylor said time after time in training camp that the AFC North was the best division, I'm like, well, that's coach speak. He, a coach in that division, in his own division, is going to say that. When you look at the record, Zach Taylor has been proven true, at least through eight weeks of the NFL season. Yeah, I mean, I don't know how Pittsburgh has the record it has. It's just because Mike Tomlin finds ways to win. His guys just grit out wins. They obviously didn't do it this past weekend against Jacksonville. Um, and, and Cleveland is compromised by the Deshaun Watson situation. But at full strength, Pittsburgh's probably the worst team in this division, and they'll still find a way to go 9-8. and eight. I mean, that, that's the thing. Now, Cleveland may, may really be compromised depending on Deshaun Watson moving forward, how long that injury lingers and or if it resurfaces uh, for them but yeah no there's no question I mean th this is a really very difficult decision or division to, to try to to try to win um, and you know it's always been their goal is win this division you feel like you've got a good road to the playoffs because you've you've toughed out a tough division and you still have a chance to do that too I mean every he's right at the bye week they do have everything in front of them in their own destiny and I think that's important to have of just control us. We control us. We're good. And you can't always say that in this league. You come to week 13 or 14 going, we need to win, but boy, we also need a lot of help. And that lot of help doesn't come a lot of times. No. And that's the one thing that I've been impressed with, with this Bengal team the last couple of years is they haven't relied on a lot of help, um, you know, to back into the playoffs. They've won their way to the postseason each of the last two seasons. And they certainly made the statement and won their way to a very favorable uh, position going into this Buffalo game by beating San Francisco on the road. Um, I just want to get your sense of the last time these two teams met, it was all about the run game. Do you think it could be that way again on Sunday night? Yeah, I, 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 I do. I'm glad they got the run game on track a little bit for the Bengals. And I do think that that now, when, once you go under center and you've established that we can run it between the tackles four, five, six, seven, eight, ten 10 times when we're under center, they didn't get a chance to take a shot play from out of the from from under center with some deep play action. I got a feeling if you can set up a few runs early in this game, you will be able to set some shot plays up. And I think that's coming here at some point. And boy, you start doing that, um, and Joe Burrow wheels and deals with his health out of the shotgun and can just pick his poison of where to go. Forget it. You're not stopping this offense in any way, shape, or form. It will score 30 points a week almost every week against any defense in this league. Stripe the jungle. Are you interested to see how it looks on Sunday night? I think it's a great concept. And, you know, it's another indication to me that the Bengals are trying, you know, Caroline and Elizabeth Blackburn are doing everything in their power to make this organization shine on the national stage. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big hokey guy, but I do kind of I, I think it's a good idea for the fans and they embrace it. That's the other part. It's one thing if fans don't embrace it. The fans embrace it. I'm interested to see my daughter and, and son-in-law are season ticket holders. And for those that maybe haven't seen this, they're doing this by section. One section's being asked to wear orange, yep. the other section's being asked to wear black, and they're kind of trying to alternate it to make it look like stripes. So I, I have to see what section she's in. I'm sure she's aware of it, um, and and I know she'll take part. So so will my son-in-law. As you know, Mike, you know it, I, I get I got a, a few hate emails last postseason because I didn't wear Bengals colors on TV. It's not what what we do because we do cover the team and we have to. 
um, be objective in what we do. And, oh, and I, can't, I can't do that. It's just not my no. personality to do that. But I do have a black pullover that I consistently wear to the cover of the games on, on Sunday do? night. So maybe I'm just maybe I'll be part of the part of the dress up, if you will, because I'll probably have the black pullover on for that game. Maybe it's my days in New England, but one of my favorite pieces of clothing is the hoodie. Of course, of course. Now, I'm not gonna. I'm I'm not gonna be wearing a hoodie <laughs> for the game on Sunday night. I can promise you that. So, anyway, anything else you want to touch on, Skinny? Anything you're working on? Yeah, the one thing I, I for for us and you brought it up is the whole trade deadline concept. I, I I am a little dismayed if they don't try to swing something for either a backup running back or a tight end. And I think I'm in I'm in agreement with you. They it's just not their mo. One thing I will say is they've changed their mo significantly have. in the last handful of years. So why couldn't you do it now? The fact you are going to get some compensatory picks, you don't really know how many, but it'll probably be a couple because of the free agents they lost versus the free agents they brought in this year: Jesse Bates, Hayden Hurst, etc. Shamaz AP Ryan. You have plenty of capital. Yes, you do. Exactly. With being able to hold on to enough draft picks, because, again, they're going to have to have rookie contracts on this roster the next few years moving forward because of the superstars you're having to pay. Um, So I understand their concept, but bringing Samaj P. Ryan back seems the most logical decision to make because he knows the offense. You don't have to get somebody up to speed. It probably won't cost you a lot. You were probably already allocating the money he signed with Denver for anyway because they did want to resign him. It just, he did a preemptive strike and went to Denver thinking he would play. Um, I know the hand wringing over tight end. I get it. And, and I wouldn't be opposed to them making a deal there either. I just don't see that one, but running back to me, especially with the chase Brown injury, I think you're going to have to add one anyway, Mike, why not go at a guy that knows your system that, you know, that you trusted enough to run double the plays your starter ran in the AFC championship game. It yeah. just makes too much sense to me. All right, he is Richard Skinner. You can follow him at Local 12 Skinny. I got that right, right? On Twitter. Local 12 Skinny. Uh, he is a one-of-a-kind character on the Bengals beat. I love having the guy on the beat. I really do. Skinny, you're the best. Mike, I enjoyed it as always. All right, he's Richard Skinner. I'm Mike Petralia. This has been the Jungle Roar podcast, powered by FanDuel Sportsbook, the exclusive online wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Until next week, keep that jungle roaring.